Father in heaven, Lord, what a privilege to be here this morning as your people. Father, you know our hearts and our minds, and you know exactly the message that you have for us. Father, we pray that as we spend time in your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, help us to understand the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we'd be drawn closer to Jesus and that we would get to know you more. Father, may your spirit abide with us and and teach us all things and lead us into all truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning, just as before we start with the message, by way of announcement, I just want to remind you about not this coming weekend, not next Sabbath, but the Sabbath after that. I believe it was probably announced already, and you have the handout in your bulletin about the Adventist World Radio Sabbath. You guys are aware of that. And if not, I would encourage you to look back in your bulletins. When I grabbed my bulletin just here, I saw it in there. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll give you the announcement anyways. So this coming Sabbath is a normal Sabbath, but on the Sabbath of the, what would that be? Not this coming week, but the next week, September 1, that Sabbath, we have a special Sabbath. It's Adventist World Radio, and Adventist World Radio is a department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and they are sending someone here to tell us about what God's doing around the world. That person happens to be my mother. And she's going to be sharing stories about what God's doing. Now, Adventist World Radio is a radio station that broadcasts Seventh-day Adventist messages around the world, but specifically in closed countries like North Korea, China, and the Middle East, difficult places where a gospel minister could not go without losing his life. And um, they'll be sharing stories that you probably have never heard. One, because there's so many things happening, they just haven't had a chance to publish them all. And two, because many of the things happening currently haven't been able to be advertised on live public uh, venues. And so as you come, that's Sabbath during divine service, and also Sabbath at 7 o'clock for our Vespers, um, we will have a special time to hear stories of what God's doing around the world. We were just hearing on Thursday, my mom FaceTime called us as she was getting into a helicopter in the Philippines, flying off to meet the guerrilla fighters who've been fighting against the government as 120 of them want to be baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist and they're leaving their guerrilla warfare behind. So those are the types of stories you're going to be hearing. Also them working with the Chinese ministers who are getting more heavily persecuted in China currently, but now they are um, still seeing great things happen. They're actually preaching evangelistic series. We can't tell you where or when, but you'll hear more about that when you come. And so I believe you will be greatly blessed if you come to this weekend. So not this coming Sabbath, but the next, September 1st, that'll be taking place. This, we want to see if this will work for us. If I was the devil, I would try to mess up Sabbath, and so he's, he's working hard. But the blessing is, is that we have a Savior who's willing to assist us when we need some help. So we'll go ahead and try to get this working. But until then, how about we study our Bibles? Is that all right? And if PowerPoint starts working, it's a blessing. And if not, we'll live. I think we've all lived in times where there weren't projectors in churches before. Well, some of us have. We've been studying Mark chapter 3. For those of you who have been here, this is our fourth part of the series, Mark chapter 3, looking at verse 14 specifically, at Jesus' call to being a Christian. We realize that Christianity has been redefined today into something that it was never really intended to be, and many Christians who call themselves such um, really aren't meeting the biblical qualification, or maybe they don't understand what it is. And God calls us to a higher standard to help us to realize the joy of being a Christian and how we too can experience that joy. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, for those of you who haven't seen it before, I want to make sure to take you to this passage. Mark chapter 3. Beginning in verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he ordained how many? Twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Now we've seen over the last three weeks that the twofold call of the Christian, not just here in Mark, but all throughout Scripture, is that God wants us to be with him, time with God, and going for God are the two components that equal the Christian life, right? We've seen that over and over again through multiple examples, and if you haven't been able to hear those messages, we'd love to share them with you at another time. Um, We've also looked at what are the hindrances 
to spending time with God and witnessing for God because if I was the devil, I would sure try to mess up anything that would keep people from actually being what a Christian is. And so we saw that there are five major things that Satan does to keep people from witnessing. And some of those include things like feeling like you don't know enough or not exactly knowing how to share your faith or what if people aren't interested or not knowing where to begin. And all of these things are things that have kept us from sharing our faith at times before. Thank you, brother. And what we see is that God has a specific purpose for us. Now, we also saw last week, this is catching us up in review, that there are specific reasons why God is calling us to be a witness. And we realize that witnessing isn't just the punishment for the Christian. It was actually intended for our blessing. And we saw that witnessing will cause us to understand that it is what helps us to grow spiritually it's also what we need so that people won't be lost. We realize that if we're not sharing our faith, that people won't understand the way to salvation. And what's crystal clear is that we live in a society where people believe that you can do whatever you want and end up anywhere you want. And if you want to end up in heaven and do something totally different than what Scripture teaches, they believe that that's possible. But what we see through Scripture is that Jesus tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, which means God is exclusive, but the blessing is, is that He's called us all to be missionaries. So no one has to be lost, and He's even delaying His coming so that we can have opportunity to reach those who need Him. Number three, we saw that if we aren't Christians, um, or that if we aren't witnessing, we actually aren't Christians, right? Jesus tells us that Christians are those who spend time with him and then also go witnessing for him. And this is why it's crucial for the Christian life. And lastly, we saw that God's work would never be finished unless we carry the gospel commission to the world. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. Now, in the course of this study, we've put off one element that's really important for us to understand. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that Jesus called twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. We've summarized preaching over the last few weeks as going for God or witnessing for God. But today I think it's important if God is calling us to not only be with him but to preach for him, how many of you think it's important that we don't redefine what Jesus says but truly understand what he was intending? You think that's important? I don't know about you, I want to be a Christian in the truest sense. I want to know what Jesus is really calling me to do. Now, let me ask you a question. As you realize, when Jesus says he's calling us to preach, when you hear the word preach, what is the mental image that you get? Someone speaking, maybe publicly, exactly what's happening now. You know, a man or a woman standing up front, presenting to a congregation, and that's the only thing that we typically define as preaching, right? I mean, that's the general sense. And so it would be easily captivated by something like this. A minister there preaching the word of God to someone. And as he's preaching, that's what we think, oh, that's what Jesus must intend. So if we're going to be Christians, well, we'd better get over our stage fright and everyone come up and preach Sabbath after Sabbath. Is that what Jesus is saying? Now, you're shaking your head no, almost wishfully. Right? You don't know exactly what Scripture is teaching on what about preaching. But you're just hoping that it doesn't mean you have to get up here. Now, I think we're going to see what the Bible does define as preaching. And I want to look at four different scriptural passages that help us to see two specific elements of preaching. And the first one is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 42 and 44. And we have these on the screen just so that we can look through them briefly. This is talking about Jesus, and it says, The crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Now, this is a group of smart people, right? Jesus is in their presence. They want to keep him. And Jesus says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was, what's that word? Preaching. In what way? How does it define it? He was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now that sounds to me very similar to what we're doing today, right? A minister in church, preaching, and that's what Jesus was engaged with when he was preaching to others. So does preaching exclude the public proclamation of gospel truth? Well, absolutely not. Did you catch the question? Does preaching exclude the public proclamation of gospel truth? 
No, preaching, if Jesus calls us to preach for him, and there's a lot of people resistant to agree that it includes the public proclamation, but don't worry, there's comfort. It includes the public proclamation of gospel preaching, um, or else Peter would have been off when he preaches on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 plus people who are converted. I mean, that was a public meeting, was it not? I don't think you can fit 3,000 people in your home, regardless of how nice your home is. And so we realize that public proclamation is part of what it means to preach. And we're going to see that again. In Paul's ministry, when he starts off, he's just converted in Acts chapter 9. It says, Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he did what? preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is who? The Son of God, then all who heard were amazed. Now what's interesting here is this is very similar to what Jesus was doing. Preaching in the synagogues. A public place in the synagogue really means a place of meeting. And so they come together to meet together and that's where the gospel is preached. But there's also another way that the Bible defines this. And I want to look at this as well. And these two accounts come from Mark. This is one that we've looked at before. After Jesus heals an individual, Jesus tells him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest. Offer for the cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to what? Proclaim it. Now this is the same Greek word, caruso, which is used for preach or to proclaim. That's the idea of the word. It doesn't mean you have to preach from a platform. It just means to share, to, to teach, to proclaim. And so this man, when Jesus heals him, Jesus says, hey, I want you to stay quiet. But he's so excited about what Jesus has just done that he goes out and he proclaims it. Now, does this mean that this man rents a hall and gets a stage and a PA system and everything else and then begins to proclaim? Is that what it's describing? No, this sounds like an individual act, right? As he comes into contact with people. He says, I have to tell you what Jesus has done for me. And he begins to explain the beautiful transformation that God has brought. And so what we see in this passage in Mark chapter 1 is that Jesus, when he calls us to preach, it's not just public, but it can also be in the personal sharing of God's word. Now, how many of you, you feel a little bit better now? Your blood pressure has gone back down and you can listen to the rest of the sermon. Notice this. This isn't the only place in Scripture we find it. Mark chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. However, Jesus did not permit him. This is talking about the demoniac who wants to come with Jesus after he's just been delivered. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends, or go home to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to, what does it say? Proclaim or preach in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So he goes to his own house and he goes to his own neighborhood and he begins to share what Jesus has done into his life and the Bible defines that as preaching. Now, why are we sharing this? The reason why we're looking at this is because there's a, a false teaching that's come into Christianity today. Are you surprised with that? There's a false teaching. I mean, we've seen a lot of false teaching that's come into Christianity. But there's a false teaching that's come into Christianity today that says, I can witness for God without ever opening my mouth. Now, there's some truth to that, is there not? The way you live your life is a witness. If you try to preach to someone and you might have all your words right, but if your life doesn't match it, you're, you're a mess. And they're not going to listen to you anyway. So that's not what I'm talking about. But there's some people who believe this. They say, I know Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. I know he calls us to preach for him in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. I know that he's calling us to take the gospel to the whole world, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. But what Jesus really meant was for me just to live a good life, and people would notice that I live a good life, and then they would become a Christian. Now, is that what Jesus said? Jesus didn't tell us just to live a good, moral, Christian life. There's some people who believe, well, my neighbors see me every Sabbath morning. And they see me come out of the house in my suit and my tie. And they know that I'm going to church. And that's my witness. That's all I need to do to witness for God. Well, now, is that a witness? Absolutely. I mean, it's witnesses to the fact, hopefully, that you not only live during the week like Christians, but you also worship with fellow Christians. And that's a wonderful witness. But Jesus could have defined the call of a Christian much differently. 
He could have said that he called 12 that they might be with him and that they might go to church on Sabbath and neighbors would see, right? Did you know there's words for that in Greek? They weren't at a loss of words and they just picked preaching. But the reason why they chose preaching is because God is calling Christians to not only live like Christians, to be with him and transformed and be living like him, but also to go and to share the truth of Jesus with those around us. Now, before you get nervous all over again and want to stone the preacher who is late already, I want to remind you that this doesn't mean that you have to stand up week after week in a public setting. Now, that doesn't mean that God might not call you to do that. But what it could be is how could God use us to preach in simple, practical ways throughout our lives? How many of you would like to know some practical ways that you could be involved in preaching the gospel in your daily life? Do you think that's something you'd be interested in? Not a show of hands. I'm going to take the hands being down as you're very interested um, or very tired, one of the two. But I want to look, at you, uh, look with you at a few different things that will help us to understand how can I practically preach in my everyday life. There's six practical points that I believe will show us these are ways that everyone can be involved. Whether you're two year, years old or 122 years old, I believe these are things that all of us can do to be involved in truth sharing and why it's important. Now, I didn't put these in order of importance, these six points, so don't stone me if your favorite one is not first, and don't stone me if your favorite one isn't listed, because God has many ways of helping us to reach people, and we're going to talk more about next week of how we can work in various ways as a church to come together to reach people, but these are just six practical ways each one of us can be involved in witnessing in our daily lives. So number one, Share truth-filled literature with someone. Now you might wonder, why is this the first thing you're mentioning? I want to ask you a question. Why are you a Christian today? You might think back in your history to your parents who introduced you to Christ, or your grandparents who introduced you to Christ, or a minister who introduced you to Christ, or whatever it might be. But I want to bet that at the core of your religion, the reason why you're a Christian today is because of the Word of God. Is that true? I mean, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through what means? Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, the only way to be converted is by coming in contact with the Word of God. And so if you and I are thinking, man, how can I witness to someone? How can I share my faith? Don't you think it might be important to start by sharing in a way that God shared with us? Now, I want you to think about it. Do you think God is limited in resources? Do you think God's limited in ideas? We, we look at the creation story to kind of think about this. When God wanted to create the world, he didn't think, man, I'd love to make uh, X, Y, or Z, but I just don't have the right equipment, right? I'm just not advanced in that time, and this product hasn't come out yet, so I can't do it. No, when God wanted to do something, he spoke, and it was done. Why do you think that God would choose to reach us through written words? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we're pretty advanced in our society. We have Blu-ray now, right? Or all these different things. 4K video, or if you're shooting with a red camera, 8K video. You have all these incredible ways of communicating. Why did God choose a book? Well, I don't know. I'm not God. But I can tell you this much. God being all-knowing and all-loving and picking the best means of reaching people chose that his words would be written down and that would be the means of converting people. So whether or not I like reading or I don't like reading, I have to come to the fact that God, knowing all things, chose truth-filled literature called the Bible and other things as a great means of reaching souls. Do you, do you get the point? God has given us scripture for a reason, and if we're looking at sharing our faith with others, what better way to do it than by sharing words of truth with people? Now, I want you to look at a couple quotes to support this. This comes from Call Porter Evangelist, page 80. It says, if there's one work more important than another, it is that of getting our publications before the public, thus leading them to what? Search the scriptures. Now, there's some people saying, well, should we just be like the Gideons and only give out Bibles? Now, we're thankful for their ministry. They do a great work. And how many of you have ever needed a Bible and you find one in your hotel room or wherever else? But God has not only called us just to give Bibles to people, 
But it says, as we're sharing truth-filled literature, it leads them to search the scriptures. Now, some of you have seen these little tracks before, right? Glow tracks. I heard one of our uh, younger members got excited about these last week and handed some out. Good work. We have these glow tracks, and what's incredible about these things and also some other books that we have out in the foyer there, Great Controversy, Steps to Christ, Story of Hope, any of these books, as you look through them, they're filled with scripture references. And how many of you have noticed that there's a lot of confusion today in the Christian world? There's over 3,000 denominations, but yet there's one Bible. Do you think there might be some people who need some Bible instruction of how to read the Bible correctly to come to truth? Well, I think we all do. And that's why as you look through these pieces of literature, and as you read through it, there's people who are sitting in the Bay City Church today, and there might be some here, who the reason why they're here is because they've read through some literature that caused them to question what they first believed, go back to Scripture, and then see what the Bible truly teaches. This is why literature is so important for us. I would encourage you, take some of these tracts. They're right out there. Take some of those books. Find people to give them to. And you will never know the results until we get to the kingdom. Notice this from the Southern Watchman, January 5th, 1904. Let every what? Minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Is that what it says? No, let every Seventh-day Adventist. We're all included. What a blessing. Ask himself, what can I do to proclaim the third angel's message? Now we're going to take some time in a, a later message coming up soon to look at the three angels' messages and understand what does it really mean. But the summary of it is this. The three angels' messages are the very last messages to go to a dying world, and the very next thing that Revelation tells us is that Jesus comes after these messages go. Now, I don't know about you, I can't think of anything more important to share than the three angels' messages so that Jesus can come back. So what they're saying is, let every Seventh-day Adventist start thinking and let this question go over and over in your head. What can I do to proclaim the three angels' messages, and especially this third angel, so Jesus can come back? Notice what the answer is. The distribution of our literature is one means by which the, Lord, or by which the message is to be proclaimed. Let every believer scatter broadcast tracts and leaflets and books containing the message for this time. Now isn't this awesome? How many of you, and, and once again, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you find yourself naturally shy? You don't like to just walk up and approach people. I can agree with you, brother. I don't like to walk up and just approach people and be abrasive. But how many of you have an arm that extends? All you have to do sometimes, if you're terrified at the checkout counter and you're thinking, man, I should really give this to him, well, hopefully you'll go through with it. But worst case scenario, after you swipe your credit card, you drop a tract and you leave, right? And someone picks it up and there is story after story about people who find tracts and are converted. You leave it in the gas pump after you go, right? It fits perfectly and kind of wedges itself in there even when the wind blows. You can leave it on your neighbor's door when you know they're not home so you don't have to meet them. I mean, whatever you want to do, literature is a great way of reaching people when you're intimidated. I'm being 100% honest. I've done all of these things because I'm intimidated. Now, hopefully the Lord can work with us to be willing to talk to actual human beings too. But literature is a great first step to being able to share with those around us great truth of Scripture. So, does it work? Does it really make a difference? There's a, there's a young man that I, I'm well acquainted with. He, came, he went to the same school I did. And he had a mark around his neck. And I used to ask him, you know, what's that mark from? He said, well, I was in the middle of committing suicide. And I had attempted before by hanging. And it didn't work. And he said, I was getting ready to kill myself when someone knocked on my door. And he said, I thought they would go away, but they kept knocking. And finally, they handed me this tract, does God care if I'm hurting? And he said, I, I got off, I took the rope off, you know, I, I decided it wasn't the best time to kill myself today. I read the tract and I became a Seventh-day Adventist and now I have purpose to share with others. Do these tracts make a difference? There's another lady that we met. This, her name is Liz, and we met her in Houston, Texas. My friend David Ponyo and I were going door to door. We only had about 25 minutes to pass out a few glow tracks, which doesn't seem like a lot of time, but it's amazing. If you give the Lord what you have, he multiplies it. And as we went door to door, I realized very quickly that 99% of the neighborhood was Spanish speaking. And if you can't tell by looking at me, I'm not fluent in Spanish. And so we found it to be a little bit of a challenge, but the blessing is we had Spanish glow tracks, and so we started to share with people. And David went to this door where Liz was, 
and he, he knocked on the door and no one came and so finally he just went on to the next one. Well, while he was on his way to the next door, Liz calls out and says, what are you doing? And not a very happy tone. And David goes back and he says, well, we're actually just sharing tracks with people. Let me, let me share a couple with you. And so he hands Liz some glow tracks. And the first question she asks is, are you Jehovah's Witness? And he said, no, I'm not Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And she said, you're going to think I'm crazy. But she said, right before you knocked on my door, I heard something like shushing me to tell me to be quiet because I was making a lot of noise. And she said, I ignored it at first, but then finally I was quiet and that's when I heard you knocking. And so I still didn't go to the door, but then I felt like I really needed to go to the door. And she said, the crazy thing is I had a dream not long ago. And she said, I know you're going to think I'm nuts, but I had a dream that the end of the world was coming and God was telling me that I needed to be ready, but I didn't know how. She said, then a few nights later, I had another dream, and the dream was two ministers coming to my door, and they had tracks, and I knew that the tracks they were bringing was the truth, but the only thing was I knew they weren't Jehovah's Witness. And she says, now you show up, and your other friend, by that time I'd walked back, and Liz is just in tears. She says, I know God is sending messages to me through the tracks that you're bringing. I can tell you story after story almost like that, and you might think, yeah, you're making this stuff up, but those people are tripping on drugs. But the reality is, is it's true. Why could those things happen in the book of Acts, but not happen today? The Bible tells us that there's, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And my friends, if we want to find ways to be faithful preachers for the Lord, how about using those silent preachers the Lord has given us in literature and getting them into the hands of men and women who are in need of Jesus? So how can we share our faith, truth-filled literature? And if we are converted by spending time in the Word of God, how many of you think that maybe studying the Bible with someone might be a means of leading them to Jesus? Now, you know, I want to tell you more about this at some point, but the Bible, the reason of giving Bible studies is not only biblical, as we're going to see, but it's a heaven-born idea. And I'll tell you where that phrase comes from. You know, when Jesus was looking at his disciples in Luke chapter 24, Jesus had just been crucified. They had gone to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. There was confusion about what was happening with Jesus. And the disciples started to think that maybe they were deceived about who the Messiah was. You're familiar with this, right? And as the disciples are walking back on the road to Emmaus, they meet a man and they don't recognize that this man is who? Jesus. But as they begin talking, they talk to Jesus, and Jesus asks them, what's going on? And they say, you know, don't you know? I mean, Jesus the Christ was just crucified. And Jesus, when he wanted to encourage and redirect well-meaning believers in him, what did he do? He gave them a Bible study. He goes through the scriptures with them. It says, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he begins to explain to them the prophecies concerning himself. So as those discouraged believers got their first Bible study from Jesus, can you imagine getting in that Bible study? I mean, the creator of the Bible is the one giving you this study. I mean, no wonder it says their hearts were burning within them. And as they begin to hear the words of truth, and the prophetic words of truth, right? As they're looking at the prophecies of Jesus, they're encouraged and they're given hope and they now have a purpose and they start the New Testament church. Not only that example, but we fast forward over to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, there's an Ethiopian eunuch, which we've talked about some. And this man is reading through the book of Isaiah and as he's reading through Isaiah, he can't understand what Isaiah is meaning by some of the texts. So what does God do? God sends a missionary by the name of Philip. Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch and he says, I see that you're reading of the prophet Isaiah. And he says, yes, but I can't understand it. And so Philip, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to explain to this Ethiopian eunuch what the message of God truly is. And that man is baptized and believes in the Lord. Do you think that maybe Bible studies would have a similar impact today? Do you think there are people still looking to know the truth? Now, I want you to see this quote very quickly, and we might repeat it next week just for those who missed it. But it says, the plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. Now, when it's saying Bible readings, it's specifically referring to the question and answer format of giving Bible studies. And this came to birth out of a meeting that S.N. Haskell was doing. We'll talk about this more next week. 
And through this, God was able to put the ability of taking truth not just in the hands of the trained ministers, but in the hands of anyone who could read. Because if you can read a question and read a Bible reference, the Lord can lead them to truth in Scripture. And so it was a heaven-born idea. There are many, both men and women, who can engage in this branch of missionary work. Workers may thus be developed who will become mighty men of God, and by this means the Word of God has been given to thousands. And the workers are brought into personal contact with peoples of all nations and tongues. The Bible is brought into families and its sacred truths come home to the conscience. Men are entreated to read, examine, and judge for themselves, and they must abide, uh, and they must abide the responsibility of receiving or rejecting the divine enlightenment. God will not permit those precious, uh, this precious work from him to go unrewarded. He will crown with success every humble effort made in his name. Now this is incredible. I don't know about you, but I only want to do things that I know work. How many of you like to do things that you know don't work? I can't think of anything more frustrating, right? You know it's going to fail, but you do it anyways, and sometimes you have to let your kids go through that. But the reality is, if God tells me, here's a heaven-born idea, that's something that I'm going to listen to and think, I might get on board with that, because instead of experiencing failure, I can experience success. So he tells us that if there's one work more important than another, it's getting literature before people. If there's a heaven-born idea of witnessing, it's sharing Bible readings with others. And the great thing about Bible readings, and I forgot to bring a Bible lesson up with me, but I have some out on that table for you, is that when you read through it, all you have to do in order to give a Bible study is to read the words on the page. Now, I don't know about you, but reading comes generally fairly young in a person's life, right? Four, five, six years old, maybe. You start to read. So some of you are well over six years old, so you should be able to read. And I understand there's challenges in life. I met a gentleman not long ago who's 70 years old who's just learning to read. He's here in Michigan. So I understand there's difficulty. But the reality is, is if we can read, then we should be excited because not only can we read whatever we want to, but we can also read the Word of God to those who need it and share hope with those who are lost. So I hope that we can take part in this. Notice what this quote says. We read part of it before last time. Acts of the Apostles, page 109. It says, There are many who are reading the Scriptures who cannot understand what? What does that mean? Can't understand their true import. There's, there's people reading the Bible who don't get it. That's the common way of saying it, right? They just don't get what they're reading. They're reading and they're, they're longing to know it, but they just can't get it. Notice how it continues, all over the world, men and women are looking what? Wistfully to heaven. What does that mean? They're longing to go to heaven, but they can't even get the Bible. And prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. And many are on the verge of what? The kingdom, only waiting to be gathered in. Now from the context of this quote, what is the thing that would cause them to be tipping from waiting for the kingdom to being ready for the kingdom? Understanding scripture. Having someone walking through and instructing them in what the Bible really teaches. And can you think of the countless hundreds of thousands of people who are longing to know scripture? And if we would just offer to share truth of God with them, what that could do in their lives. We can think of story after story where God's done this and the peace that it brings to hearts is unreal. So, how do we share our faith? Number one, share literature. Number two, study the Bible with someone. Number three, what about looking for opportunities with your neighbors? How many of you have realized that sometimes the person God wants you to reach lives either in your house or right next to your house? There was a lady by the name of Bernadette who lived in my mom's apartment complex. My mom had just moved there. And so my mom started sharing loaves of bread with the neighbors. Good idea. Helps you be a good neighbor and it gives them something good to eat. So she starts sharing loaves of bread. Every once in a while she'd bake them a loaf and take it over there and start to build a friendship with them. Well, after building a friendship for a few months, on Christmas we put together some goodie plates and got some steps to Christ and then gave them, you know, the first little bit of truth that we'd ever given them. And they were thankful and receptive and the friendship continued to grow. And my mom was talking to Bernadette one day and she said, you know, I'm thinking of starting a little Bible study group in my apartment. Would you ever be interested in coming? And Bernadette said, well, yeah, I'd be interested in coming. I'd love to study the Bible. You know, I go to Calvary Baptist Church. 
Oh, well, that's great. You know, why don't you come on over? So they begin studying the Bible together, them and some other neighbors. And within a few months, Bernadette joins the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Her daughter joins the Seventh-day Adventist Church and is enrolled into the Seventh-day Adventist Church School. Why? Because the mission field was right next door. You show your neighbors that you care. You be helpful. Don't be the grumpy neighbor and then try to offer them Bible studies, right? But as you're the helpful, kind, loving neighbor who does things that assist those and shows them that you care for their physical needs, then they're open to listen to your spiritual ideas as well. This isn't just our idea, but it's actually God's idea. Testimonies, Volume 9, page 30. God expects personal service from everyone to whom he's entrusted a knowledge of the truth for this time. Now, this is what we're familiar with, right? God is calling us all to active labor. But how can we do that? Not all can go as missionaries to foreign lands, but all can be what? Home missionaries in their families and in their neighborhoods. My friends, I think we need more home missionaries. You know, there's some of the counsel that's given is just get a family who's solid in the truth and move off to a place that they don't know anything about the truth and let your light shine. Be a good neighbor. Start to share truth with them. And before you know it, a church will be planted. Why is it? Because if we're just faithfully carrying out our duties in everyday life and looking for opportunities to share our faith, God will multiply our influence. Now, not only do we need to share with our neighbors, but what about ministering to unbelievers in our home? You know, that's what it was talking about, right? Not just in your neighborhood, but also home missionaries. And there's biblical examples of this. You think of 2 Kings chapter 5, where there's a little girl that we actually aren't even given her name. The, the book that's popularized among Adventists calls her Little Maid. Any of you read that to your children before? Little Maid and Naaman and Lady Naaman, right? So you have Captain Naaman who gets leprosy and he doesn't know how to get healed. Here's an idolatrous man who knows nothing about the truth of Jesus, but there was a home missionary. And that little servant girl said, you know, I'm not going to allow little Naaman to be lost. So she goes to Naaman and says, you need to send her to the prophet of my hometown. God will heal you. And she knew that through that healing, it would be not only physical, but also spiritual. So Naaman goes, and as the course of the story goes, he comes back and discontinues his idolatrous worship and begins to worship the true God. Now, is this incredible? Maybe you're living or working with the very person God wants you to reach. Do you have an unbelieving child or an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving someone who lives right there? Could God use us to be missionaries in our very own home? I believe God could do a great work if we were just willing to cooperate where the work lies nearest. So not only are we needing to work with those who are in great need around us by sharing literature and Bible studies, not only do we need to reach our neighbors and those inside of our home, but the fifth thing that we need to do is also to look, what about those who have stopped attending church? Sorry, we're having a problem for a moment. What about those who have stopped attending your church, but you know that they used to be members? What can you do to reach out to those who used to sit in the very pews that you're sitting in this morning? And you think, well, I, I, I know brother so-and-so, and the reason why they're not here, we're glad they're not here. Well, maybe the Lord needs to change our attitude. But there's also those who, you know, we think, well, what is the Lord going to do? What if I reach out to them and they're not interested? What if, what if they're offended when I contact them? Did you know that there are many people, there's studies that have actually been done, that many Seventh-day Adventists who have stopped attending church say that the main reason why they don't continue to come is because no one's invited them back. It's that simple. And did you know when Jesus tells stories about this, he gives us a good illustration. You're familiar with the, the analogy that Jesus uses when he calls himself the Good Shepherd, and he calls us his what? Sheep. Now, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 where he has a hundred sheep, and as he brings them back into the fold in fellowship with one another and in the comforts of their own home, God brings them back together, and as he's counting through, he finds how many? Ninety-nine. Now, if, if he was a modern Seventh-day Adventist, he would stop and say, that's a pretty good retention rate. You know, that's 99 people out of 100. We haven't seen that for years. I mean, the last evangelistic series, we lost 50. But we're just thankful that two are still here, right? But God, being the loving shepherd, cares for the individual. And there's not one person missing that God doesn't notice. 
And as God finds the 99 are back, he's happy they're there, but he decides that it's better for him to leave those 99 and go find that one. Now, what do you think this represents? Those sheep that are in the fellowship with one another, are they not the Christian believers that are still together? And that one who is no longer there is that sheep who has fallen away for whatever reason, and God doesn't check to find out why that sheep left before he goes to reach him. God doesn't ask if that sheep has issues, but God just knows that he's a sheep and he wants to find him. And what a work could happen if men and women like yourselves and myself would be willing to take up the work of reaching out to the lost sheep. Notice this quote. The ninety and nine sheep are left and diligent search is made for the one that is lost. The entire effort is made for this unfortunate sheep. So should the effort of the, what does that say? of the minister, of the specialized church member in retention, no, 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 of the church, be directed in behalf of those members who are straying from the fold of Christ. And have they wandered far away? Do not wait until they return. You try to help them uh, before you try to help them, but go in what? Search of them. You know, the Great Commission doesn't say stay and make disciples. It says go and make disciples. So whether that's in your truth sharing of literature, whether that's in your sharing of Bible studies, or reaching out to your neighbors, or whatever it might be, reaching out to lost members, we can't wait until it just falls into our lap. But God has called us to go and to be ambassadors for those who are looking for light and for truth. So we've looked at five reasons. How can we be involved in preaching in our everyday life? And we've realized that there's some practical ways that are very simple. Some as easy as putting something in your pocket to slip out every once in a while. Something as easy as building a friendship and inviting that person to understand the truth of Jesus that will set them free. Some of them reaching out to our neighbors, to those at home, reaching out to those who are missing from our congregations. But I want to share with you a sixth one that actually changed my life, and that's participating in a mission trip. Now, oftentimes, we think of mission trips as us doing a service to the country that we're going to minister to. Now, don't get me wrong, there's people who are always blessed by the service that we perform, through the grace of God. But the reality is that sometimes God calls us on mission trips not because there's not local work to do, but because we need to be prepared to do that local work, and sometimes He has to take us off to prepare us for it. I remember the first time we went to Africa, it was about 15 years ago. My mom and I were raising the funds for it. At that time, it was costing about $3,000 per person. And there was person after person who said, hey, what about the, you know, you can reach your neighbors. There's work to do here. You don't need to go to Africa. And so here I am at a young age thinking, well, maybe I don't need to go. But my mom, as we talked about it, and I still had a burden to go, she said, no, 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 we're going to go even if it costs money. Not because we had the money, but because we knew the Lord wanted us to go. So we started fundraising. And we got there, and after raising thousands of dollars and going, you might think, well, is it worth it? Well, as a result of the meetings that we both preached, about 500 people were baptized, which, praise the Lord, the Lord is merciful, and it was because of the pre-work and the work of the ministers there. It's not because we just showed up. But the other thing that happened is it changed my life. And I don't know about you, for those of you who have been involved in a mission trip of sorts, I'm not talking about just overseas, but maybe just going to a different place and aiding someone in gospel ministry. It does something to change your own life. And I remember as I preached night after night, I began to see, man, not only is there a God that's real, which was evident to me at that time, but there's a God who has a message for a dying world that I wasn't familiar with. And it wasn't until I had preached it that I became familiar with it. And also that there's a God who can work miracles today like he did in the book of Acts. And God can use a simple young person to do it. It was trip after trip. After about five or six of them, I started to realize, man, maybe this is God's calling in life. And God can use these mission trips to be turning points in your own experience. So we might say, well, look, you don't have to go overseas, which is absolutely true. There's a work everywhere to be done. But what if God does call us to go overseas? What if God does want us to take the gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people? What if God wants you and I to go and to be a witness for those who may not have heard the gospel before? Now, I can't just tell you that you should go on a mission trip without providing opportunity. That, to me, is kind of like torture. 
So I want to tell you about an opportunity that's actually coming up December 12th through the 23rd. And this is for anyone who's in the Michigan Conference. It's actually organized by the conference office. A group of people are going down to Ecuador. And there's many things that are going to be happening during this series. There's going to be preaching evangelistic series, which is a great blessing. You can be involved in that. You could also be technical support for the meetings, like you realize things go wrong with computers. I've never seen more things go wrong than when you're overseas preaching an evangelistic series. There's also building projects happening, so if you have skills in that, you can aid in building structures for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's also kids' programs. Some of you have a burden for those young people who haven't had the proper training that, to know Jesus, and you can be participating in that. Or there's even medical uh, help that you can give an assistance. If you are able to provide medical care to these people, there's actually a clinic that they're going to be setting up. And how awesome would it be if God used this trip to motivate some of us to come back and be local missionaries here? What if this could be the training that was needed to help us become effective ministers? Now, here's the main reason why I think mission trips matter. When I was invited to preach the first time, the pastor said, would you be willing to preach an evangelistic series? I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, would you be willing to pray about it? And I thought, well, that's like the easiest way out of anything that I know, right? Sure, I'll pray about it. How many of you have said that? Oh, I'll pray about it. And then you just don't get back to them. I mean, that's the reality. And so I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it. You know, sound really holy at that point. But then as I began to pray... And he said, well, you know, if you're going to pray about this, I know it's the Lord's will for you to take the gospel to all nations. So that means that it must be your will to preach and God's going to change your heart. So if you just pray about it, I know you will. Here's your projector. Here's your clicker. I mean, literally that fast. I said, well, uh, okay. I mean, what do you say to that? So I remember taking it. And as I got ready to preach, I was so nervous. And my agreement with God was, Lord, if I'm nervous, I'm not going on stage. You have to understand, before this time, someone asked me to do scripture and prayer, and I refused. Because scripture and prayer was way too public of something to do. They invited me to do children's story, and I did children's story once. And from the time I called the children forward to the time we had closing prayer, and they're walking backwards, was 59 seconds. You know, it's so fa I was just so nervous. What do you say? So as I realized, Lord, if I'm nervous, I'm not going up there. This was nothing short of a miracle. I'm being 100% honest. And then someone told me, you know the great blessing? Whatever happens here, the likelihood of you ever meeting one of these individuals again is slim to none. So say worst case scenario, you preach and you feel like you did horrible. In three weeks, they won't ever know you again and you can save your reputation. Now to me as a young person, this is pretty important. That what I could do, you know, not that you're misusing it, you're not wanting to do a bad job, but you can go over there and you can practice and then come back and no ramifications on your real life, right? But as I did that, I realized that God could not only work in real life, but if God could work in Africa, why couldn't he work in New Mexico where I was living? Why couldn't God live where we are here in Michigan? And sometimes I think it's taking us out of our comfort zone, pushing us a step beyond what we actually want to do, as what God can use to prepare us to maybe even be a missionary just to our spouse or to our friends. It might be what we need to be a missionary to in our workplace. So I would invite you, if you're interested in this, we're going to have some brochures in the back you can look at if you would like to go, but you financially can't do it. Um, I can tell you that the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he's more than willing to sell some for you to go. And sometimes that means he works through individuals. But I believe that if you and I would be involved in soul winning, and just these simple elements that we looked at together. If we would study the Word of God with other people, share literature with them, look for opportunities, be missionaries in our neighborhoods and our homes, if we would reach out to missing members, and if we would take the opportunity and go overseas whenever the possibility is given, I believe the Lord will do a great work here that we've never seen before. How many of you have ever been discouraged in evangelism? Can you be honest? I mean, I could raise both hands. 100%. I've knocked on approximately, I mean, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about with discouragement, approximately a quarter of a million doors we've knocked on already. And we've met a few people who have said no. Okay, more than a few, probably a good percentage. And there are days when you think, Lord, does it even work anymore? You've done an evangelistic, how many of you have participated in an evangelistic series? You go through all the effort as a church, and at the end, what do you see? Nothing. 
other than you're worn out, you're tired, and you just spent some money, right? Yeah, have you ever felt that way? But have you ever stopped to think about this? Jesus says that the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now we're also told in the spirit of prophecy, how much good could a laborer who is rightly trained do? Oftentimes, the Lord allows us to fail. He allows us to go through difficulty. Sometimes we see success, sure. But should we allow our failure to keep us from doing what God's called us to do? I don't know about you, but I believe God more than I believe myself. And if even though I've only met failure after failure after failure, I believe that what Jesus says is true, that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. I believe that there are people longing for truth even if they don't look like it. And I wonder if you and I took that perspective and said, Lord, regardless of my past experience in evangelism, maybe the first track you ever handed out, a guy was mean to you or a lady said no or whatever it was and you never wanted to do it again. But maybe it's time for us to put those bad experiences aside and say, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I practically preach the gospel in my sphere of influence so that we can see Jesus come? Is that your desire? How many of you would like to faithfully say, Lord, help me by your grace to find one of these things to implement in my life. And how about we be intentional and say, Lord, bring to mind those very people you would have me to meet. Help them to be on my daily prayer list. And as I pray for them, Lord, please give me clear impressions as to what you would have me to do or say to reach out to these people. Father in heaven, as we sing that song, that's truly our prayer, that Lord, you would help us to be faithful workers for you. Lord, we realize the blessing of salvation you've given to us, the joy that's placed in our heart by knowing Jesus. And Father, we think of those who are sitting in darkness and despair without any encouragement or hope in this world. Father, please point us to those people, whether they be our neighbors, our own family members, those people overseas, or those that we come in contact with on a daily basis or maybe strangers to us. Father, may we be faithful in doing your work so that we may do, see you soon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.